I could just take a moment of personal privilege uh, to address my own children as you hear me preach this sermon. You honor me by being here today, as you always have. And it's not lost on me that the first public sermon Bo and Josie are about to hear is their grandfather saying, honor your mother, mother and father. I pray that comes true. Let's all pray. Father, we do lift up this time to you and we pray, O oh God, that you would open our ears that we might hear your word. We confess that there's not one who has come to this text feeling like they've met the demand, achieved the goal. We have all fallen short. We pray, Father, that this time together would recalibrate our thinking. Open our minds, we pray. Help us to understand. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, when I utter the word authority, do you embrace it or do you recoil? Is it a, is it a good word or a bad word? Is authority, and I'm talking about decisive authority, that which we actually listen to and obey, is it an external thing held up and imposed from the outside? Or is it an internal thing, something one feels from within? Raise your hand if you've heard of Carl Truman's book. Uh, no, I didn't say which one yet. <laughs> Strange New World. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. He explores 200 years of uh, history and so-called uh, great thinkers to see how we've arrived at our day, our age, where man's inner life itself has become the source of all truth. Here's what he writes. The modern self finds himself in the midst of what has been called expressive individualism where each of us seeks to give expression to our individual inner lives rather than seeing ourselves as embedded in communities and bound by natural and supernatural laws. He writes, authenticity to inner feelings rather, rather than adherence to transcendent truths becomes the norm. He argues throughout the book that decisive authority is now our inner feelings. That's what's guiding us. That's what's telling us how to operate. It goes so far as even determining one's gender. Do I feel like a man today? A woman? Neither? Both? Inward psychological conviction is the non-negotiable reality to which all external realities must be made to confirm. If this is true, 
I think Garrett Kell asking me to preach on one of the Ten Commandments is a little nutty, right? If this is true. And to think that he's asked me uh, to preach on honor your father and mother, well, that's just embarrassing, right? It's a little outdated, don't you think? If that idea wasn't shot through, obey your mother and father, before, it was definitely by the 60s, right? That generation drove Volkswagen Beetles and with bumper stickers that said, question authority. They boycotted the Vietnam draft. They abandoned the church. They bagged the institution of marriage for free love. They helped take down Richard Nixon. I remember, I'm a baby boomer. One of my older brothers touted a gas mask that he ripped off the face of a police officer on, on, uh, during a riot at his college. Well, by God's grace, I'm sitting here as a redeemed boomer. One who has, the, was, has been the gracious recipient of God's electing love while I was in college, as I said earlier. I'm here to tell you the opposite of what the world's telling you. Do not look to the world for an operational definition of authority. I mean, if a Supreme Court nominee, that body made up of nine men and women who is deemed the ultimate, uh, the ultimate interpreter of the law of our land, is unable to define what a woman is, well, I suspect you won't find much help from the rest of the world. But we'll leave that for another day. These Ten Commandments were not handed down by God himself merely as the Ten Suggestions. They were handed to the people of Israel so that they might become the very image of God himself. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your instruction manual. How to love God and how to love your neighbor. And this morning we turn to what some have called the second table of the law. The first table you've already heard, consisting of the first four commandments, those were all what? Vertical obligations. Our obligation to God. And, and, and the second table, consisting of the remaining six commandments, are all horizontal relationships aimed at our earthly relationships. Now, a word before we dive into Exodus 20.12. I want to say something about how I aim to treat this particular passage. Modern sermons on this text have lots of jokes. You could imagine the infinite number of jokes available. But I noticed in my preparation that the longer I went back reading the older writers, the less jokes existed in their writing. In fact, there were no jokes once you get out of the 1900s. They treated this topic with excruciating seriousness. And I think that's how God intended, and so will I. In the process, I pray the Lord recalibrates our thinking. Now, sometimes preachers use unnecessarily big words, so I'm going to stop and help kids along the way uh, and see if I can really drive this home for you. So, kids, especially, this sermon is aimed at you and your parents. So, 
Kids, here's your first help. Ready? Everything I've said so far is asking this. Should I obey my inner feelings or something or someone outside of me? Should I obey my inner feelings or someone or something outside of me? Okay, my assignment, you can find it on page 61 if you're using the Pew Bible. It's from Exodus 20:12. Here it is. Pretty simple. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So my goal in the next few moments is to, to answer the what, the who, the when, and the why of this commandment. There's your outline. The what, the who, the when, and the why of this commandment. First, the what. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? Okay, if that first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me, if that commandment is the foundation of the first four commandments, then you could equally argue that the fifth commandment is the foundation of all the other commandments that follow. Well, why? Well, Jesus himself summarized these ten commandments in Matthew 22 when he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's how he summarized the second table of the law. So question, where do you first learn to love your neighbor? The family. The family is the first and primary incubator from which all neighbor love comes. It shapes all relationships. When you come across a kind, considerate, self-controlled little boy, do you think he picked that up from the Disney Channel? How about a young girl who's respectful, other-centered, and quick to obey? Scrolling through TikTok? No, behind these, these children are faithful parents. It's, it's, it's true, good parents can have kids that go rogue, and bad parents can miraculously have good kids. But generally speaking, that's not how the world works. From the beginning, God set it up for parents to be a good authority in their children's lives and for children to obey and profit from that good authority. So just a few weeks ago, I was teaching the Sunday school class at Capitol Hill, and I said, look, there's kind of two stages to a child's life. Those first five years is to teach them how to be generally, the big goal is to generally how to be under authority. And this, the second five years is really to kind of start to focus on character. First authority and then character. If, if you fail to teach your child to be under authority, all bets are off on the rest. Right? They're not going to get it. They're not going to care about character. Brace yourself for what happens when that child steps outside of your home. Augustine said, if anyone fails to obey his parents, is there anyone he will spare? 
Do you see where it begins? The home, the family, is where we first learn to live with other people. We are introduced to the very idea of authority and respect and honor. Our family is our first hospital, our first school, our first government, our first church. It's where we are nurtured and instructed and governed and where we learn to rightly worship. If if it is a good home, the, the child gets the first and best introduction to the idea of protection and love. I think we've seen the fruit when this breaks down in our schools and on our city streets and would I say it too much? Is it too extreme to say our society depends on this? So again, what does it mean to honor your, your father and your mother? The, the word honor in Hebrew is kavad, K-A-V-E-D. It, it literally means heavy or weight, weighty. It is the... It, it's a word the Old Testament uses for the glory of God, the weightiness of his divine majesty. To honor one's parents then is to give due weight to their position, to give them recognition they deserve for their God-given authority. So kids, to honor your parents, I'm talking to you kids now, is to respect and prize your mother and your father. The opposite is to to dishonor, to disrespect, or to treat them lightly. The Old Testament had a way of dealing with offspring who treated their parents dishonorably. Listen to these hard verses from Leviticus 20, verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put... On time out? For if anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, when his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders at the city gate, and they shall tell the elders, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So shall you purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Praise the Lord, we are in New Testament times and in a new covenant, right? I share these verses to show you the seriousness of this commandment. This was literally life and death. But even in the New Testament, the issue is still very much alive. Paul in 2 Timothy 3 says, there are days coming, the last days. You've 
you've read about these days. These are difficult days. These are hard days that are coming these last days. Listen to this list of what will occur. This is 2 Timothy 3. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Did you hear that? Disobedient to parents is listed in, right in with this calamitous list for the last days. That's New Testament stuff, folks. Simply put, a child must be taught and come to recognize that a father and mother have been placed over them by God himself. Therefore, that child owes reverence, obedience, and gratefulness. Whether it's a government official who has gained a high position or a parent, they have gained it through God's providence. Therefore, it makes no difference whether a parent is deserving or worthy of honor. It is God who put them there. It doesn't say honor only the good fathers and mothers. It doesn't say be grateful only when you get from your parents what you want. The title of father and mother is deemed weighty in the eyes of God. It's, a, it's an office of great significance. The world will tell you otherwise. I've got a special thing I do every Father's Day. I, I looked at a number of different newspapers online, and I just tried to, I just scour to see how the world treats fathers. It's a joke. <laughs> they, the world does not know what to do with, mothers, uh, with fathers. Mothers, they're indispensable. Mom gets lots of accolades. Dad, they're just a throwaway. It's just, do it, dads. Do it on the next Father's Day. They see no role for fathers anymore. But in God's eyes, it's weighty. <laughs> Period. Full stop. It is, no matter what the world thinks. Okay, kids, here, let me have your attention again. Ready? In God's loving providence, your parents gave you life. That fact alone is sufficient for you to honor them. They gave you life. Okay, number two. Who? Who? Who is this commandment aimed at? Children, right? Kids, let me talk to you for a minute. God has placed your father and or mother in your life especially for you. You should assume they know more and know better about what's good for you. And if, if you feel this is hard, I would just tell you to remember Jesus, the one who never sinned and upholds all things by his word. What did he do? He too was submissive to his parents, his earthly parents. Do you see? The second person of the Trinity, the Godhead himself, 
put himself under his earthly parents. And he honored them. So as you get older, as you grow, kids, so should your relationship with your parents. As you give evidence of maturity and strong character, you should be given more responsibility and more independence. It's what we all want, right, as kids? At least the independence part. But with that responsibility and independence, it it doesn't change the command to honor your mother and father. Teenagers, it seems a rite of passage in our current culture that you're expected to rebel, push back against your parents. And you feel it, don't you? (laughs) Man, my parents don't get me. There's so rules, so many rules. They never let me have any fun. I just want to do what I want to do. This commandment is for you. Do you honor them with your speech? When you're with your friends at school, do you treat your parents lightly? They don't understand. They're always on my back. If you do, that's a mistake. Dare I say, that's a sin. If you really want to rebel, how about you honor your mother and father? That would, that would be a great rebellion against what the world's telling you to do. Try it out. Parents, right after Paul tells the children in Ephesians 6 to give honor, what's he say? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We dads, we tend to fall off both sides of the horse, don't we? We're either too harsh or too passive. Deuteronomy 6 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen, parents. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them When you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That's pretty much all the time. He just said it all. In the house, out of the house, sitting down, standing up, lying down, it's all. Don't provoke, but teach. Give godly instruction. Show your children the way of the Lord. Sadly, some parents are outright abusive and provoke their children. They bring on the rebellion. Most of us are more subtle about it. We parents can replace God's word with our words, can't we? We can blur the line between God's principles and our preferences. Write that one down, parents. The next time you give your children instruction, is, it a, is there a principle at stake here? Or is it just your preference? We can try to exercise authority a little too long. 
That's provoking. In this age, these last 25 years, there's been this thing called helicopter parenting. You know the term? I'd really like to encourage you parents to think instead of maybe three stages to a child's life. That first stage, when they're little, you need to be out front. They need to know where to go. You need to lead. But when they hit that high school, college, just outside of college age, you need to pull from out front and pull alongside. Think of yourself more as a a coach, a friend, a, a, a fellow journeyman. And when independence is clearly made, you need to get behind, right? Jump in when they need help and support, but cheer all the way. But but you're not here and you're not there. You're behind. Don't provoke your children by being in the wrong position. It really takes wisdom and self-restraint to know when to downshift relationally with your children. And I pray you have it when it's needed. All right, back to Exodus 20, 12. Notice there's no age limit here. It's not only for small children or while children live at home. How sure am I? Matthew 15, Jesus is talking to no less than the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the, 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 big, the big guys. These are the, the wise religious people. These are the adults in the room for this community. And Jesus is telling them this. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And who and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. He's just repeating those verses I just said, right, from the Old Testament. Jesus is saying this. These Pharisees and scribes, they were not taking care of their elderly parents who were in great need. They, they were devoting, they said, everything they had, every spare dollar they had, they were devoting to temple, kind of spiritualizing it. Like, Right? all the while ignoring their needy elderly parents. And Jesus is condemning them for it. You have ignored God's law for man's. This means that Jesus sees the care of parents in their old age as a prime example of honoring them. It's insufficient. It's sin just to pack mom off to the old folks' home and forget about her. So let's get this straight. I have to give honor to my parents when I'm little. I have to give honor to them even after I've left home. I have to give honor to them as an adult when they're old. How about after they died? Our posture should be one of honor in how we Think and speak of them. And look, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you don't recognize your parents' failings. It doesn't mean you aren't honest and open about what it would be like to not see their kids and grandkids on a regular basis. 
Unconverted parents, well, to use a biblical term, they're blind. They do not understand the way of the cross and often the, the demands that are placed on you in terms of sacrifice. The, the values that they have are just upside down from the values you have. So what do you do in the case of either believing or unbelieving parents? What did Jesus say in Matthew 10? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. We do have a loyalty and allegiance that is even beyond that of our parents. We mentioned earlier that your own church's budget supports the work of these brothers and sisters in North India. One of those men, uh, one of their leaders, was actually shunned uh, by his family, his father, his mother, his sister-in-law and brother, because he would not submit to his father to physically live in the same complex where they were already doing ministry. These were Christians shunning their Christian son because when Jesus said go, he took it literally and was going out to plant a church. And they wanted him to physically stay with them. Our friend is 40 years old. He lost the esteem of his own family for the sake of the gospel. The second scenario is when you have parents who are simply, dare I say, undeserving. The Bible does instruct us to honor our parents, but it does not command us to stay, listen to me, it does not command us to stay in harm's way. In a room this size, it is no stretch to imagine that some of you came from homes that look something less than Leave it to Beaver and the Brady Bunch, where these TV parents could resolve any kid's problems in 30 minutes. I've known a young woman now for nearly 15 years who was given up for adoption at age eight. As a young girl, she saw things no child should ever see. She, she was up for adoption because her father was serving a long and deserved jail sentence. Her mother died having spent her body in ways that are unmentionable. How is this young woman to speak of her parents? Some of you have been verbally, mentally abused. And some still have tender scars from physical abuse. I am so sorry.
What you suffered goes against all nature and God's command, and he will judge it. I, I understand if your instinctive, natural reaction is to say, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve to be honored. To be transparent, when Garrett asked me to preach the sermon, I immediately turned him down. I didn't want to. On reflecting on my own childhood and my own relationship with my parents, I didn't think I could do it. I, I told my wife later that day what I did, that I turned Garrett down. She patiently listened to me and then said, you should do it. And here I stand, I could do no other. <laughs> Why did I turn it down? In my heart, I, I knew it wasn't going to be easy to hold this up. I, I'm holding up an ideal that I personally fell short on for years. But, I mean, that's what Garrett and Jason and who, what any other man that stands in this pulpit does, right? He always holds up the ideal knowing he falls short of it. That's not why we need Christ to come in and cover over our sin. As hard as it is, Scripture calls us to give respect to all governing authorities. That's Romans 13, not just the good ones. 1 Peter 2, Christian slaves, you might say modern workers, are to be subject to their masters with all respect, not just to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, Paul writes. And you and I, we're called to honor parents even when they're undeserving. Is this possible? We know from the book of Samuel that King Saul wouldn't have won any Father of the Year awards, right? He ordered his soldiers, including his son Jonathan, to kill the future King David, an innocent man and the dearest of friends to, to Jonathan. This puts Jonathan in a most awkward position. He's supposed to honor his father, who also happens to be king and could take his life, all the while knowing murder is against God's law. That's coming soon here at Delray. Jonathan did the right thing. He actually honored God by disobeying his father. He, he warns David that he intercedes with his father to swear off this sin. He did not dishonor his father, but worked to preserve the king's honor by calling him to, to better, to good. Jonathan was not blind to his father's faults, yet he somehow figured out a way to still honor him. And the last we see of Jonathan, you know the story, right? He's at his father's side, fighting the Philistines to protect his father, and dies.
How can you honor the dishonorable parent? If you can do nothing else, take the advice of Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. When my own parents were still alive, I asked one of my brothers, as I said, I'm one of seven boys, I'm number six, how am I supposed to honor mom and dad? He said, Matt, choose to live an honorable life. My, my brothers, I think there was wisdom there. My brothers saw that even by association, we can bring honor to our, to our parents. Okay, number four, why? Why is it being asked? Why should we honor our parents? Well, I think there's many reasons. Parents deserve it for the many sacrifices they make on behalf of their children. What's the new definition of being a parent? Spending money on things you'd rather spend on something else? <laughs> Kids, your, your parents are spending their money for your sake that you might prosper. Honor them for that. Here's another reason. Parents have a wealth of knowledge. Kids, you may not think that right now, but they probably know a lot more than you realize. You've probably heard Mark Twain's line. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. How about this? Here's a reason to honor your parents. God designed it this way. God has made us to live in families where parents have the role of teaching and guidance and discipline. One of my adult children uh, had spent a weekend with another couple who had a child who never once was instructed on what, he, what, what the little girl should do. It was just all options all the time. It, it went like this. Do you want eggs or oatmeal for breakfast? Do you want to play inside or outside? Do you want your red or blue pajamas? Do you want to go to bed in 10 minutes or 20 minutes? It, my, my daughter said it just became absurd. They never once instructed the child to do one thing. Options, options, options. The child was the one who was leading that family. The child was the one who was deciding what will happen and when it will happen. God has designed families to work where parents lead and children follow. Parents, you are God's ambassador, his agent, his representative to your children. Children happily live under the rule of their parents. That is the beginning of them learning to live under the rule of God. Do you see the relationship? Children who do not respect their parents will lose access to one of the central ways of passing down the faith. Kids, back to you again. Here's a good reason to obey your parents, to honor them. There's a promise attached to this, to this commandment. Have you noticed? 
Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, it's not promising a long life here. It's actually promising an abundant life. God is saying if you want to enjoy the full blessings in this life, you'll listen to your mom and dad. God could have ended this commandment with a threat, right? But he doesn't. He ends with a promise. It's like he's saying to these children of Israel. They're gathered there and he's saying, your parents saw my great works. I I turned the Nile into blood. How about that? And and then I brought nasty plagues on Egypt. How about that? And, And then I delivered your parents out of Pharaoh's hands through a sea on dry land. Then I brought water out of a rock. You like that? Well, and now, kids, now you're on the cusp of the land I promised to give you. Listen to those parents. Listen to their stories of how I delivered them. I am the great deliverer. <laughs> Listen to them. Learn from their instruction. Be a people under authority, and you will know my blessings. It's an incredible promise. And God is a promise keeper. (laughs) All right, now some of you kids are well taught and might be saying, these words were spoken in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. We're, We're under the New Covenant. We're Christ's church. Okay, excellent point. In God's wisdom, though, He had the Apostle Paul repeat these words. (laughs) Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Kids, keep listening, kids. I'm going to tell your parents something now, but I want you to hear this. What ultimately happens, parents, to the recipients of the Ten Commandments, to their children and their children's children? We read in Judges 2.10, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. Did not know the Lord? Did not even know what God had done? The the great deliverer and this spectacular deliverance wasn't even spoken of? How is this possible? Did these parents not even open their mouths? What's said about generational wealth can be said about faith. That first generation earns it. That first generation believes it. The next generation assumes it. And the third generation loses it. That's exactly what happened here in Israel. Parents, you're instructed to teach your children about God, his offer of salvation through Christ and his promise. Parents, set your mind and heart that you might be that of the psalmist. In Psalm 78, listen to this. I will open my mouth in a parable. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. 
but tell it to the coming generation. The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You must teach. But you can't only just teach. There's two sides to this. You are both to show and tell, show and tell. Children are always listen. They, they may not always listen to their parents, but they rarely will fail to imitate you. <laughs> so make yourself worthy of imitation. Listen to these verses. Now, here's, we're going to do some fill in the missing blank here. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew... That's not just parents, that's every believer in this room. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, this, this flesh, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What does God call fathers and mothers? And not just moms and dads, but the whole church. What's God calling you to do? As, as these children are looking at you, you are to display, to reflect the character and likeness and image of our Father in heaven, like a mirror to the sun. That's your job, parent, Christian. And all of us have fallen short. All of us. We're like one of those Carnival mirrors, those bendy carnival mirrors. We just we distort through our sin the image of our heavenly Father. But it's not too late. Your heavenly Father is a peacemaker. So mothers, be a peacemaker. Your heavenly Father loves his enemies. So, Father, love your enemies. Display that before your children. Church, your, your heavenly Father is holy. Be holy. Do not lie to one another. Your heavenly Father only speaks the truth. Do not commit adultery. Your heavenly Father is always faithful. By doing this, we are presenting our children and the whole world with this series of portraits of God. Do you see our, 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 our kids should look at their mom and their dad and church and get a glimpse, get a taste of God as we grow in character and likeness of him, imaging him in word and deed. Okay, kids, last word. Last word. You get it. Ready? You always get homework at the end of class, right? Here's your homework this week, kids. Think hard about how you can honor your mom and dad. 
Think hard about how you can honor your mom and dad. That might be as simple as saying thank you. It might be as simple as saying, I'm sorry. It might be as simple as when your mom or dad ask you to do something that you don't really want to do, you say, yes, mom. Okay, dad. You'll blow your parents' socks off, trust me. It'll, it'll be great. So when Pastor Garrett gets back, here's your other assignment, kids. When he gets back, I want you to flood him with stories this week, how you honored your mom and dad. Do that for me next week when you see him, okay? Give him a hug and say, Pastor Garrett, I did this with my mom and dad. And he'll commend you. Exodus 20.12 is not a suggestion but a commandment with a wonderful promise. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that we, in fact, would not ignore this commandment, but that we would obey it and even get joy in obeying it. Help every child in this room to turn a leaf, to turn a page, to, to mark a new day when he began or she began to honor you and honor their parents, that it might go well with them. We pray for every parent in this room that they might live lives such that they're worth mimicking, following, bringing you glory in the process as they image you. Help us to do this, we pray. In Jesus' name and for your glory, amen.